Hello. Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I'm Sarah Black. And today we're doing Danvers State Hospital Part 3. Yeah, I think this is our, <laughs> our first Part 3 or... Um, <laughs> You know, I didn't think it would have been something that's not in the Salem. I know, I know. Uh, city lines, but we just, it's just, we just ha- went off. It just kept going. Yeah. But I think that's a great way to return to Salem the podcast 2024. Right. We'll knock it out of the park with it. Hit him with a three part or two and a half. It's more like a two and a half. Okay. We spent a bit of time talking about the play in our last episode. Yeah, I think that that set us off a bit, so. And we've got some cool information to share with you in this episode. We do? We do. Something exciting is happening downtown. (gasps) We have a new statue going up. A new statue? No, it is not a tiger in the Salem (laughs) Common being taken down by some uh, (gasps) Quakers. Where is it going, Jeffrey? Sorry, it's a fantastic idea. What do you want to do? Can someone 3D print the tiger statue? <gasps> I think that can totally like a like a like a like yep. an eight eight inch little. We would have someone would have to actually make it. Someone someone would have to take the drawings. I have the drawings. Yeah, yeah, and like I mean sketches from the newspaper, but you'd I don't have know much to- about 3D printing, but I feel like that's something you could do. As long as they would be able to create the form, yeah, they could print it. That's amazing. I would love <laughs> to see that happen. Okay. Okay. But, but that's not what's going on. That's not what's going on. In Salem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what we have is a statue in our most recent park. Our newest park. Newest park. Sure. I, I think so. I remember when it was still just a dirt patch. Yeah. I remember when they used to have the uh, carnival there during October. That was, it was a good spot for it. Charlotte Fortin Park. Yes. So we will be getting a statue of? Charlotte Fortin. The woman herself. And I think during our episode on Charlotte Fortin last year, we talked about how that park was very lacking in a statue. Yeah. Like it it definitely needed something about her. You know, the park was named after her, but there wasn't really anything indicating, you know, her significance. So I, I think we are speaking... Slightly from a place of ignorance uh, at that point, there seems to have been a uh, public arts commission uh, and endowment. and um, So it's been in process. Yeah, for a couple of years now. It's just take, oh, I'm sure the pandemic kind of put a damper yeah, on things. Yeah. Um, so the park emerges uh, in 2017, it's redeveloped in 2019, um, and then uh, advisory committee for a statue is in 2020 uh there's a call for artists in 2023 uh they chose 18 artists and then i guess there was a public vote on it uh from the salem public's art commission and we have a winner so congratulations to chinese artist and sculptor aikui shen hopen and i do apologize i'm sure that is not the correct way to pronounce uh, her name you did pretty good okay so she will be creating a life-size bronze sculpture of Charlotte Fort and Grimke. I am so excited to have a sculpture of someone other than a dude in Salem. And I feel like that's that's standard across the country. Like if you did a tally of how many male sculptures there were to female sculptures, it's going to be a drastic difference. We've had Roger Conant 
standing in front of our Salem Common for quite some time. I think it, it is high time that we have a female amongst us. Can I just... Um, we do. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I forgot about Samantha. I, I'm like, I'm like, how do I, I don't. Oh no. I don't, so, uh, oh no. Um, I don't even know how to come back from that one. I, know. I was like, I'm. Really, All right. Well, you know, how, how, how's, let me, how's your foot taste? How, uh, let me change that. I would like to see a historical female figure. Sure. Okay. Is that better? That's I I got you. Yeah. 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 Not that I don't love Elizabeth Montgomery, but very small impact, pop culture impact on Salem, sure. Oh, we have Hawthorne too. We have Oh yeah, Roger we have Conant. Hawthorne's big statue. We have Roger Conant, we have Hawthorne. Who's the guy at the at the intersection? I was just thinking that who is that man? It's like towards Peabody. Or might no, even no, 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 no. In Peabody? The one right across from the, the... Oh, my good God. My brain is just, like, shut off. The one across from Destination Salem at the diagonal. You know, there's that little, like, island there. That's Hawthorne. No, no, no. Hawthorne's way up higher. Oh. There's, like, a little statue. I don't know who it is. I used to, it was on the test. I don't know. We're going to have to go take a, mm. we'll go take a picture with this guy. Cause I don't know which one you're talking about. I don't, but yeah, I am happy to see a, not only a testament to women's history in mm-hmm. Salem, but also black history as well. Very fitting that of course this is being announced during black history month. Um, Charlotte Fortin was an abolitionist. She was a women's rights activist. A very important figure in, in, in Salem's history. She was the first black teacher in Salem public schools and the first African-American graduate from Salem State University. So a lot of firsts there. Yeah. She was a brilliant woman, a poet, a writer, and it is, like I said, high time that we have a statue of her in a park that has been named for her. So very excited to see that take shape, quite literally. <laughs> um, we will definitely be there at the dedication ceremony when that comes around. So very much looking forward uh, to seeing that this artist's work. Uh, one of the things that prompted her um, uh, entry into the competition is she'd... Uh, Worked on a statue of Ida B. Wells Ooh. as well. Um, and just a little background on her. Uh, she grew up in pov- uh, poverty in rural China. Uh, she studied, the, excuse me, studied at the Modern Art Design in Shanghai. Um, she received national attention for different installations there. Um, and, of course, the uh, African-American journalist Ida B. Wells. Uh, she created a statue of the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Wangari Matahati. Um, different uh, Marching for Liberty statue, Women's Suffrage Memorial, um, Gate of Freedom in Birmingham, Alabama, several more. She has quite the resume. So uh, I'm very excited to see her work uh, come to Salem. And we will get back to you on if it's possible to create those um, (laughs) tiger statues. Yeah, if anyone out there does like 3D printing and rendering... uh, I, that's not on my radar set of skills. So, if um, if you you'd be interested in 
helping us recreate this historic um, tiger statue. Tiger statue that never uh, happened. People are gonna hate us so much. Oh, but they'll love us too. They're equal parts hate and love. And again, I don't think we mentioned it, or we're gonna mention it again. Leslie's retreat. The lobsters. See you there. Yeah. And you don't have to wear lobster stuff. You no. can just wear red. You can wear red. Just yeah. Yeah. A red shirt. Yeah. You can be part of the red coats. Yeah. Or you can march no. with the Patriots. No, 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 no. No, they can choose whatever side they no. want to be on, Jeffrey. No. Calm down. <laughs> so again, we are diving back into Danvers State Hospital one final time. This third part will consist of us talking about the demolition of the building itself, some cool local legend and ghost stories, and finally our visit to the property. Yeah, join us for the field trip. With a special emphasis on those cemeteries. So would that be cemeteries part three as well? Dude, I passed a cemetery in Salem the other day and I was like, shoot, are we, am I still in Salem right now? Because if I am, then we miss that one. So (laughs) I feel like maybe we should revisit. Really? You never know. Where? I don't really remember. All cattle pathways, man. I don't know where I'm at. Half the time I'm driving in these roads. I was going to say, you don't know where you're at half the time. (laughs) I was on the border of... I think I want to. I want to say I was on the border of Peabody, and I could see the Peabody sign, like "Welcome to Peabody," but I was not at the sign yet. But I was at the cemetery, and I'm like, okay. "Is this technically still Salem?" And if it is, we missed one. Okay. So maybe we will have to do another cemetery episode, but these Danvers cemeteries will be in this episode. So buckle up, guys. We're heading back to Danvers. Not in a straight jacket, just your seatbelts. and we return to danvers state hospital part three of four (laughs) no don't say oh you're shoot oh Oh. (laughs) Oh, you're technically right yeah i guess this would be a good chance to remind folks if you have if you know someone that worked at danvers state hospital or you yourself worked there or you knew someone who was a patient there or or you went and explored there in the 90s yeah when it was totally uh shut down and abandoned please write in i think we may end up doing a whole nother episode this year yeah Focused just on people's like stories. On your experiences and stories of, of, of a loved one, of a time you saw there. So we got a lot of locals. We know uh, we know people. We know you. We see you. So uh, share with us. Uh, but again, it does sort of shut down. Comes to a close in 1992. Were, were, you, were you kicking? Uh, technically not. (laughs) I was not alive yet. I was conceived in 93. There we go. But the, the, the thing is, of course, and, and, um, actually I was talking to some listeners, uh, on the street this past weekend and they were loving the Danvers episodes and, uh, one of them worked in, in mental health and they said, you know, the lack of funds and the overcrowding is still a problem. Uh, which I think we we all know that, uh, but that's that's what drove it in the ground. But there were still patients there, so right. You need to find somewhere for those folks to go. Yeah. Um, and one issue that follows the decommissioning of these 
institutions, not just for Danvers, but all of them, some folks were just turned out, mm-hmm. you know, turned over to their families, turned out onto the streets, didn't have a place for them. Um, and then some folks did end up getting transferred to other state hospitals. So there are some still lingering like Tewksbury. Mm-hmm. One of the, I think that's the most prominent or prominent that the most used Sure. Tewksbury State Hospital, which you can drive over to. You can drive through the campus if you want to get a sense of what Danvers State was like when it was fully. Yeah, Tewksbury would be a good a good call for that. They don't have the big wings that jet off the side of the main building, but they do have several buildings on the campus and they're all beautiful. And it's kind of funny. Tewksbury was um, where I spent a bit of time. I was going to say, didn't, didn't you work there once yeah, or twice? Not as a patient, but as... <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. That's where I spent some time. <laughs> well, did you, Sarah? You spent some time... As an employee. Uh, sure, sure, sure. That's what she only thinks. Oh, get out of here. That's but- what they just tell her. They're like, yes, it's okay you work here oh, Jeffrey. <laughs> in fact i was the only paid employee oh okay that's <laughs> oh my gosh this is not building a good case for me no i worked at the public health museum which is pretty in line with what we've been discussing for the last two episodes mm-hmm. and the public health museum is located inside the Tewksbury State Hospital. So inside, imagine the Kirkbride building of Danvers State. Yeah. If you put a little museum in there, you know, it was a couple rooms set aside. We had an iron lung. We had an old wheelchair from like the 1800s, an old dentist chair that used to fold up into a box because, you know, the dentist has to yeah, travel yeah. around and set things up. So many old hospital beds, nurses' uniforms, original Red Cross stuff, a lot of neat things. Some of the furniture and the items had been leased out to movie productions. So Shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also Castle Rock. Yep. Stephen King's yep. little adaptation. Around the corner. Yeah, I go to work one day and there was just a bunch of movie people, tents, security, everything, whole nine yards. It was really neat. It's cool. Um, But probably the coolest part of the experience, when I first got into the gig, I was an administrative assistant. I was the only paid employee. Everyone else was volunteers, if that tells you how small this museum was. There was a group of photographers looking to get into the grounds and take photos of the abandoned buildings. That was their thing. They sought out abandoned, run-down places and taught amateur photographers. So we made it happen. And looking back on it, I'm so happy that I got to do it because it pertains so much to this topic. And it was just cool in general. But like the tunnels, mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about the tunnels. Oh, there's in this miles yet. of tunnels there's underneath Danvers State. Sorry, miles of tunnels under Danvers State. But that was pretty common yeah. for these institutions because you're in Massachusetts, because the winters are so bad, because the campuses are so expansive. Let's throw some tunnels underneath, and it's just going to be easier to get from place to place, especially in those harsh winters. So yeah, these people came in. We got into. Uh, several of the old shuttered wards, like fully abandoned rows of hospital beds, just the metal parts stacked up along the wall, row after row after row, as far as you could see. There was a whole room filled with radiation detection kits, like to the ceiling. And then when we were in the patient areas, 
you could get into the solitary confinement rooms and you could see on the inside of the doors the scratch marks people left it was something else it was it was a heavy experience but yeah so think reading about danvers like immediately brought me back to tewksbury and if you're interested you can go see tewksbury state hospital like it is still operating as a state hospital uh their buildings are all still there we got to go into the abandoned greenhouse which was pretty neat because again they were also growing their own food like danvers state but yeah it's just a really cool experience and then being able to relate it back to this is it was neat i will throw pictures up from that little adventure on the page cool on the Patreon for our listeners. I wish. That's what I feel like Danvers must have looked like in the 90s. We started this saying that I was of an age when it was closed. And you see, you see some pictures of it, and you see these beds, you see these chairs. I saw one picture of just paperwork all over the floor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's just gone. Yep. That's just gone. Makes you wonder where all of it went. In a dumpster, in a fire. Did anyone save anything? At some point, you just got to... And I guess it's hard, too, because, like, HIPAA regulations, like, you can't save stuff. Like, that's... Where does it go? If if you're making the executive decision of, I don't have any storage facilities that can house 10,000 documents, all these people are dead. I'm sure that the, the hospital kept many records. But a lot of it's dead. And it just sat there for... 12, 15, 14? 13. 13 years from 1992 to 2005. Where it was purchased for a cost of $18.1 million. By Avalon Bay with the intention of turning it into apartments. So during that time in between... Like we said, it was abandoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids would go in there, yeah. party. Um, who doesn't want to break into right? a, an abandoned asylum? In the five years before it was purchased, so from 2000 to 2005, state police charged 150 people with trespassing. Love that. And issued warnings to another 450. This may have been um, kind of accelerated by the Session 9 movie, Yep. but we'll get there in a sec. So what's also weird is I think a lot of, make this quick, it's abandoned for 10 years. You're in there. I heard voices. I saw a thing. Yeah, there's other people there. There's someone in another building. There's someone in a corridor. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, was so, there was like one nice, and you're like, dude, it's a creepy abandoned you didn't see it could be a squirrel it could be anything it could be anything you know and i think that contributed to a lot of that but uh what's unfortunate is while it was registered to the uh, national place of historic registries in 1984 the property owners clearly apathetic they just didn't care it's kind of crazy how ready they were to just completely eradicate the building yeah now I know there was probably structural issues over time, asbestos, lead paint, all those things. But that building was gorgeous. And I think they had some appreciation for the architecture because they did save some of it. Mm -hmm. But when I say some, it is literally like 5% of the whole thing. The, the, The front facade. That main administration building the kirkbride building as it is called 
is pretty much the only thing that remains. And like, not like the whole building, like most of the facade, because there's another issue. There was a fire in 2007, which guts most of the property and destroys a whole nother lot of it. And I'd seen somewhere, and I'm not sure how credible this is, because um, I was looking for like ghost stories, that there was like a webcam that cuts out just before the fire begins. <laughs> and they were like, could it possibly be? I'm like, could it possibly be arson? Yes. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> like, think about arson. If if you want to place your money on was there from some sort of spectral activity that cut the camera out just before the fire of the insane asylum or the property owners who were trying to demolish the whole thing, I- I'm going to go with corporate espionage and arson. <laughs> Call me crazy. Hard to say. Spe- speculation, purely. I would put my money on that. So back to the what they did leave, though. Yeah. Um, the front facade, as you said. So the front of literally just the front. Like, imagine they took that building, took everything away behind it, and like just you see left. In the, West, in the old westerns where it's just like the prop-up building? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, they literally had to prop it up as they built, like, rebuilt the building. So not just that admin building, but to the right and left of it, yes. you'll see the D and G wards. So those, again, the facade was left. A lot of the wood and other materials uh, were salvaged during demolition and incorporated into the new structure. So some of the floorboards, the beams, those are original, just repurposed. Mm-hmm. The cemeteries were also preserved. Most of those tunnels were completely eradicated but some of them were blocked off speaking to just like the tragedy of losing this building i do want to quote richard trask real quick on this he said the failure to protect and adaptively reuse this grand exterior is a monumental blot in the annals of massachusetts preservation what might have been a dignified transformation of a magnificent structure which was originally built to serve the best intentions, but at times lost its way through human frailty, now is a mere ghost image of itself. And we and our progeny are the losers. Couldn't agree more, Mr. Trask. Yeah, what sits there now is just a bunch of cookie-cutter apartment buildings. Yeah, which is really weird. So it's called the uh, Bradley Danvers Apartment Complex. And it's nice. It's really nice. To be fair, if you look online, those apartments are nice. There's like swimming pools and yoga studios and gyms and playgrounds. Lots of amenities. Yeah. Yeah. But also no one's living in any of the old rooms. Because they literally were right. demolished. It's they not they like don't the exist. old jail here in Salem where people are pretty much living in old jail cells. <laughs> weirdos. So that fire you mentioned, that was coincidentally right before these apartments were supposed to open. April of 2007, Mm -hmm. the fire broke out around 2 a.m. By the time firefighters got to the scene, the buildings were completely engulfed in flames. And the fire was so large, it could be seen from Boston. Route 1 and 95 both had to be closed because of extreme smoke. That's ridiculous. Isn't that wild? Imagine trying to like drive down that road. It would have been that big. It just I, don't, I don't even remember that. I have no 2007. Yeah, but like as a kid, you're not going to be paying attention I'm sorry. to. Oh my God, you're not. 
Sorry. <laughs> you weren't a kid in 2007. Like 26, 27. <laughs> Were you here? I don't think so. Okay, that's probably why. I was definitely in the Marines, so I wasn't here. I'm sure people listening, because it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, but like I should, I feel like something like that would stick out in your mind. News or, or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it destroyed four apartment buildings and four construction trailers. So quite a bit. Started by a ghost. Who knows? Corporate arson. Corporate arson, as Jeffrey says. That's that's my vote. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> probably more likely than a ghost. If you, if you had $10,000, which one would you bet it on? But speaking of ghosts, maybe we talk a little bit about um, some Danvers State in pop culture and sure. whatever ghost stories we could find. <laughs> <coughs> Did you watch Session 9? No. What? You didn't? Have you seen it? No. You haven't seen it? No. You didn't watch it for the purpose of this, this episode? No. Did you, I take it? Yes, of course I watched it. <laughs> I watched it first. That was like my intro to the to the research. How, how was it? It was entertaining. Okay, see, this is why <laughs> I make the decision. You know, I if you are into this sort of thing, I think you should watch it. Okay, it's a cool chance to see the old building, and it was very reminiscent of when I spent time at Tewksbury, so I enjoyed that. And it is filmed at Danvers. Yes. It's filmed at the now abandoned. Um, or then abandoned. The, then abandoned hospital. So they have this abandoned building, buildings, and they go in and they film a horror movie. Yeah. And it's about these. With permission. So this isn't like right. some. Like B film. Like, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess you're right. It is a, it's not some D It's not some homemade you know, video whatever. cam. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was an actual production. Yeah. They had permission to be there, but again, very kind of like self-aware in the fact that they're at Danvers state, the hospital is closed down and these guys have been hired, hired to remove the asbestos. It's like a government contract. And they're like, we can do it in a week. And, um, you know, there were moments where I was disturbed. There were moments where I didn't want to like be in view of the screen because I was like nervous. Well, I get a little nervous when I watch horror movies. Okay. And there were some like audio moments where I was like, I don't want to hear this. Like this is disturbing. However, so like good for that. Like I, I like a good scary horror movie. The plot, I... Uh, I don't know about that one. It's you need to watch it. It will say they they got me. You know they had me thinking one guy was losing his marbles and, and he a, was okay, the okay. bad one, but in reality it ends up being someone else. Okay. And ah, spoilers, and spoilers. <laughs> but honestly, like I looked and I was like, okay, so we start hearing voices, we start blaming other people, and there's some psychological breaks, and I was just like. At first, you think like maybe there is something supernatural going yeah. on, but it is, I think it is very much like a psychosis situation. Okay. okay. And it is a twist. Like by the end, you're like, whoa, this is way more intense than I thought it was going to be. I do I'm, like a good twist. I'm going to make you watch it. Okay. I can't believe you didn't watch it for this. So, <laughs> so that came out in 2001. And I do think it intensified like the desire to break in and check this place out yeah. it also cemented danvers state in our modern 
pop culture horror world? So, real quick, it is not the inspiration for American Horror Story. No, it's not. It is not. So, just wanted to clear the air on that one. Uh, I I had heard that coming into this. Yeah, I'd heard that as well. Um, That's uh, the Willowbrook State School in New York. Uh, That was open from 47 to 87. And I guess that is a very horrific place. Well, yeah, if they're operating from those years, like they missed the heyday. They came after. Um, It is not the inspiration for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Nurse Ratchet. I haven't heard that. It is not. Interesting. So that is out in California. Uh, But people say that, though? I I feel like Danvers gets like, oh, it's Danvers. It's that. And you're like, no, no, no. A little bit of a Google, a little bit of a search, and some of the more prominent asylum ideas that we have. And I think probably the two biggest are maybe One Floors of the Cuckoo's Nest with Nurse Ratchet and all that. That all takes place in Oregon, and uh, American Horror Story is probably the, the more n- newer one. Uh, so neither one of those are Danvers State. You know what it is? It's freaking Massachusetts people thinking like, <laughs> yeah. American Horror Story? Dude, that took place at Danvers. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> Kid. <laughs> um, but what it is, and we mentioned this last episode, uh, is the inspiration for Arkham. So I'll deep dive a little bit into this here. Uh, if you're familiar with Batman, I'll get to that. But Arkham is a town within the Lovecraft mythos. So if you're not familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, he is a horror writer from Rhode Island. Horribly racist <laughs> And anti-Semitic. That aside, I'm also not a big fan of his work. That's just a personal preference. Have you read any Lovecraft? Yeah, like nothing extensive. I like the monster. I don't like the idea of the monster. Right? So a lot of Lovecraft horror, he talks about the like the darkness. And there is more dark than darkness. And you can hear the breath and see the wind and the stars. And that's it. You don't get the actual physical monster monster you get like the spooky setting yeah and like there is horror there is unnatural unyielding you know it in your heart and you can feel it in your soul and he's so great at describing that but that you don't get the monster fine some people love it but uh within the scope of his writing uh some of his stories take place on the north shore he's inspired by salem and he's inspired by gloucester gloucester is Innismouth. salem is arkham so the city of Arkham is Salem. It's got a sort of spooky, witchy vibe. And within Arkham, they have the Arkham Asylum. Yes, or as he called it, the Arkham Sanitarium. Now, he first mentions the Arkham Sanitarium in the story, The Thing on the Doorstep. So the thing on the doorstep, and this is fun, um, its main character is Edward Pickman Derby. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Another protagonist is Daniel Upton. Uh, Aniseth Waite, as in Waite and Pierce, marries. So she is Aniseth Waite Derby. Derby moves into the Crown and Shield Bentley house. So the actual how- Crown and Shield Bentley house is the inspiration. Behind the one in the book. Behind the one in the book. Very cool. And so all of that is Salem, and he writes then that this person then goes to Arkham Sanatorium. Which is which was Danvers. Danvers, state, lunatic, whatever. 
which is cool. Yeah. So he uh, first writes Thing on the Doorstep, 1933. That's where we get Arkham Asylum. It is this horrific place. He mentions it in several other stories. However, where most people know Arkham from is from Batman. So who wrote Batman? Who wrote Batman? So Batman's a DC comic. Uh, He first appears in, I wrote it down, 1939. We don't get Arkham until 1974. But they were inspired by, the writers were inspired by, H.P. Lovecraft's writings. Yes. And took Arkham Sanatorium. Yes. Turned it into Arkham Asylum. Yes. And then put it into the Batman comics. Do we know why? Is it just like a geographical, like, is H.P.'s, no, so or is not- Lovecraft's, um, like his stuff was just so well known that it makes logical sense that they would. Yeah, have... I mean, these guys are probably reading Lovecraft, learning about Lovecraft. Um, is your your nerds right? Comic book yeah. nerds. You're like, cool. This is interesting. Um, and also, Arkham has an idea uh, within Lovecraft, and then they need a place to house Batman's criminally insane victims, and so they draw those correlations of the horror of Lovecraft, and. Um, Batman's what's oftentimes called the rogues gallery, which is like Joker, Penguin, like the big name ones. Yeah. And they, we get that mesh. Interesting. I knew there was a connection, but not a big comics girl. So yep. I wasn't sure exactly <laughs> how that was teased out, but yeah, thank basically you for just that. the writers of Batman were familiar with the writing of Lovecraft, were inspired by, and created the. Elizabeth Arkham Asylum for the Criminally Insane. So Danvers may not have inspired American Horror Story or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but it did wiggle its way into probably one of the coolest uh, (laughs) comics of all time. Batman. I'm a big, I I am a fan of Batman. So, and Batman, uh, Arkham appears in multitude of the modern Batman films. Uh, of the cartoons, of video games. Uh, it is paramount in, in people's lives. I wonder if, I wonder how many people outside of this area know where the inspiration came from. It's a, it's a, it's like a two step. So it's, yeah. they might know it comes from Lovecraft, but do they know that Lovecraft was inspired by Salem and Danvers and the actual Danvers State Hospital? It's a little fun fact to bring up at a uh, uh, Thanksgiving, guys. Yeah, yeah. Or wherever. Or your next Valentine's, game. Valentine's Day. Sure. When you're on your date <laughs> this February. Let's, did you know? Did you know? <laughs> so that, that's that's probably the biggest tie to Danvers in pop culture. Got a couple more. Uh, 1958 horror film Before Dark features some exteriors. We should watch that one, too. (laughs) Uh, There's a video game, Painkiller, in 2004. A setting for a book, Project 17. Uh, We have some teenagers who break in, and so that's just, like, mildly referenced. Um, But also, and we didn't have time to touch on Marie Balter at all. I was hoping that you'd bring her up. So this, I wouldn't say, is, like, popular culture, but this is, um, like, traces left. So Marie Balter was a patient at Danvers State, and she was there for over 20 20 20 years. years. There are two movies that you can watch, Nobody's Child. Read the book. 
came out in 1986. It was based on uh, Marie Balter's life and a book that she had co-authored, as well as a documentary called Marie Balter Beyond Mental Illness, Danvers State Hospital. So she is probably one of the the most, if not the most, well-known patient of Danvers. Not because she had like 60 personalities or anything sensationalized like that. She did have a pretty rough upbringing, was abandoned by her mother around Great Depression era, and her adoptive parents were abusive, both emotionally and physically. She developed extreme anxiety and uh, debilitating depression to the point where she couldn't even get out of bed some days. And I should say, go back and check out those documentaries if you're interested, because like you get to see her. Like, yeah, she's, I, I watched some clips of it on YouTube. She's in it. And cool thing about her, and I think one of the most important things, is that she recovers. Right. So she's there for a little over 20 years. She is admitted to Danvers State at the age of 17, and they wrongfully diagnosed her as being schizophrenic, mm-hmm. put her on... Um, antipsychotics that were kind of experimental at that point and just worsened her condition. Yeah, so what can happen with anyone is you take a drug and they're like, hey, we're testing you with this drug, and then they just keep giving it to you and it keeps getting worse. And they're like, oh, sometimes you have to get worse before you get better. And she got really bad. Yeah, to the point where there were Suicide attempts. She um, was bedridden. I don't think she left the hospital or left her room for almost two years. She was down to like 80, 85 pounds. But she said that she could sometimes see through that. And once she got off of that, she's like, I'm going to live and and I, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. And I think within three weeks, uh, she had managed to be outside the first time in three years or two years, which is like... After getting off those drugs? Yeah. So they got her on the right medication, uh, got her treatment more in line with what she was suffering from, and she was finally uh, discharged after, again, spending two decades in the place. This was back in 1966. She got married and (laughs) ended up going on to pursue a bachelor's degree in psychology from Salem State College, as well as a master's from from Harvard. Right? So she not only recovered, she went off and excelled. Yeah. She then decided to return to Danvers. So I think this this is what really like makes her story so near and dear to the story of Danvers as a whole. Yeah. Just this idea of the perseverance, getting through your illness and, your hurdles in life and being able to come full circle and help others because of that. That's what she wanted to do after suffering. She wanted to be able to go back and help others with similar conditions. She's like, I get, I got better. I'm going to, I'm going to help other people get better. She's a fantastic success story and uh, really speaks to, I think both the, the trials and tribulations of, having such severe depression, being institutionalized, being wrongfully diagnosed, and still coming out on top, and then doing better for the community. It's pretty great. It's crazy to hear 
Did you watch any of her at the documentary? I watched the whole thing, sir. Yeah. I watched it after I watched Session 9. <laughs> that must have been I watched a- Session 9, and I was like, oh, nice. I want more. And then all that was left was, like, the stuff about Marie, yeah. which was, like, fine. But I will be honest. I went into this thinking, A, this place was, like, horrid, uh-huh. which we talked about at the beginning, and B, that it had a slew of paranormal activity and ghost stories that go with it. Like, everyone talks about this, ooh, spooky, abandoned asylum that people used to sneak into. There's got to be... I I expected to see a ton of ghost hunter episodes, like ghost adventures, ghost hunters. I was waiting for a list of them to pop up. There was nothing. Mm -hmm. There's, like, nothing. And according to ghostlyactivities.com... Over 120 ghost hunters have tried and failed to gain access. So I'm not crazy. They don't exist. Yeah. They literally don't exist because people just weren't able to get in there. And the folks that did get in there were trespassing. <laughs> and I don't think you want to put that on a right. Discovery Walking Channel. Around drinking and breaking stuff and whatever. <laughs> did you find any ghost stories? I found one that was like, sure. I... I literally found people looking for ghost stories. Like I, <laughs> I, I was like, you know, if there's going to be anything out there, I'll find it on Reddit. Sure. And I found other folks that were doing the same thing. They had gone to Reddit. They had posted, hey, I had heard about this Danvers State Asylum. Or I remember going into it. Does any? I'm trying to find information. Has anyone encountered anything paranormal at Danvers State? And literally, it's just nothing. It's dry. There's nothing. The one story I found was actually a creepypasta. You know what a creepypasta is? It's not real. Okay. It's literally just like a made-up sto- It's made up story on the internet. And I'm just going to tell it to you for the fun of it. Okay. And because it talks about the tunnels. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's oh, very reminiscent it. of Salem. So this comes from Reddit user Hammy Sammy. The most famous story concerns Sarah Eustace, a patient who escaped her ward in 1955 and snuck into the tunnel system. Despite multiple searches and a week-long lockdown of the asylum, it's like that's, that's pretty extensive for one patient, Sarah was never seen again. It was assumed she died down there, lost, thirsty, and alone. A nurse at Danvers named Gail Malloy became obsessed with Sarah's story and spent many of her off hours searching the tunnels for her remains. Though she never found a body, she did snap this photo in late 1966, which suggests Sarah Eustace walks the Danvers tunnels to this very day. Do you see it? Yep. See the picture? Yep. Kind of spooky. Definitely not real, but still. It's fun to be entertained, right? Sure. That's that's the extent of my ghost story okay. encounters. Okay. If any of our listeners... I, I, I think I found one. ...happened to have uh, experienced something at Danvers, please let us know. Yeah. What did you find? So I can't find it from the person, but from some other ghost frighty you know scary spooky things uh gerald richards is a hospital administrator in the late 40s his daughter gerilyn lavasseur lavasser said that at one point her and her brother saw a creepy woman once and only once and that as a teenager 
uh, oftentimes uh, her bed sheets would be ripped off her bed. Oh, I did see the thing about the bed sheets. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, even like Googling her name or his name doesn't seem to come up with a lot. Uh, I've seen it like one or two places. But it's so, it's like brief. It's so. Yeah. One mention and yeah. then that's it. And she lived. And so the thing is, is that they would not have lived in the asylum, in the, in the asylum complex they would have lived in the facilities management property so that's not even the asylum being haunted that's like the outbuildings a, a, another outbuilding an administrator's house which makes it a little less spooky yeah so that's that's all we got for you unfortunately that, that's all we got so just to recap place was pretty good to start didn't get bad till later did not inspire American Horror Story, and there probably are no ghosts. Is that it? <laughs> I think that's it. But it does reference or inspire Arkham Asylum and Batman. <laughs> and we do have a pretty fun cult classic horror that came out of it, too. I'm going to make you watch Session 9. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can have... Oh, oh, we should do a uh, uh, a watch like, like we did for um, the other ones upon the Patreon. Watch session nine. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. I think that would be fun. That sounds fun. We we can do that this week. Yeah. Let's do a watch. Okay. Okay. Um. But okay. to wrap it up, unless you got anything else, no. We went there. We visited Danvers State. Or sorry, sorry, sorry. The Bradley Apartments. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's no longer. Gosh, it is a. I think you mentioned earlier an echo of what it once was. Beautiful. The yeah. front of that main building as we were driving up, absolutely gorgeous. The surrounding area, a um, lot of like pastoral farmland yeah, still. Yeah, as we were driving up. So as we mentioned before, they were able to feed, sustain, harvest their own food, crops, and livestock. So a lot of that land coming up still is definitely still farmland. Which is kind of surprising. Like I did not expect, assume that there would have been more commercialization encroaching on that area like well, i'm assuming when the state bought it they probably bought the whole property because there's still some medical facilities down there yeah for modern i saw like a dentist's office and stuff like that uh but we went for one specific well two three four specific reasons we wanted to see the structure but we also wanted to see the cemeteries because yes. like that's what we do although I, I I think I'm gonna lean into the graveyard thing. Oh, whatever, dude. I'm I think, just saying, it is the yard of the facility. But it's not a house. I feel like I feel like graveyards are usually churches or residences. Churchyard, graveyard. Whatever. So a church has a graveyard. A residence would have a graveyard. A school would have a graveyard. An asylum would have a graveyard. So technically, according to Google, okay, okay, I think this is one of those situations where we're both right. Yes, <laughs> like two things can be right at the same time. Okay, so it can be both a cemetery and a graveyard, but not all cemeteries are graveyards. Right. All graveyards, I think you could say, are technically cemeteries because a cemetery is is technically just a place where things are like 
people are supposed to be buried. It is a burial ground. Sure. Planned. It, yep. It implies that the land is, this is coming from Wikipedia, implies that the land is specifically designated as a burial ground. The term graveyard is often used interchangeably with cemetery, but a graveyard primarily refers to a burial ground within a churchyard, or I think also possibly in people's yards yes. back in the day. Yeah. So again, I think... Every graveyard would technically be, be a cemetery. A cemetery. Not all cemeteries are graveyards. Yeah. So there we go. Okay. Does that fix it for sure. you? We're good. <laughs> but we, so we checked out there to cemeteries, yes. which were pretty neat. Yeah. So there are two on the grounds, one in the main area, uh, probably about a eight minute walk down from a little hill, down a hill from that administration building, the Kirkbride complex right off of Kirkbride drive, Kirkbride mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. And then the second cemetery was, it said a mile and a half on my GPS, but I wonder like if you were to walk from there, it was probably about a mile or so, Maybe. like straight yeah. through the woods, straight through so the ground. gone straight down. Yeah. yeah. And that's because they established a set of cottages known as the Middleton Colony and they in 1903, and that's kind of where that second cemetery came into play. The oldest graves in those date to 1878, so right when it first opened, and there are approximately 770 people buried between both. Not all are identified or known. And for a while, they had completely like been forgotten yeah so when danvers state shut down and the building itself was abandoned so were those cemeteries just left to the elements overgrown Uh, five years after the closing so in 1997 a local danvers person pat deegan she was walking the hospital grounds and discovered a field with a bunch of numbered markers no names just numbered markers She was inspired almost immediately to try to identify the people buried there. And she was also the one that found that second cemetery down the road in Middleton. She gathered a whole group and started the Danvers State Memorial Committee the following year. And it consisted of a lot of ex-patients and staff members. And together, they worked to not only identify the patients by their names, but also try to locate the graves associated with those people. They also cleared all the rocks and the brush and called awareness to the cause in general and were able to get funding because of the attention they Mm -hmm. brought to it. So what we saw when we visited is not what it looked like, you know. 10 years ago, 20 20 years ago. Yeah, Yeah, this was still clearly maintained. It is. But it's it's could do with some upkeep, some TLC. Yeah, it wasn't in bad condition. I thought it was pretty good. It's also the middle of winter. They were relatively successful in their endeavor. That main cemetery, that first one we went to, has 677 graves, mm-hmm. 542 of which have been identified. 354 have uh, been located. So they were able to identify over 500 of those folks and locate over 300 of those graves so if you get down there what we saw today it's sloping so it's 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 like on a hill and you'll see a lot of i don't care what they gotta be like a foot and a half by like eight inches Mm -hmm. uh granite stone 
in the ground. Yeah, so it's not the headstone style stone. It's a in the ground style stone. Like as we were walking up to the cemetery, you almost didn't know what you were looking at yeah. or where it was because you don't see stones sticking up from the ground. They are all inlaid into the ground. So what they did is they so there was numbers. So all the plots are numbered, and there are still some of the original number markings. And so they'd find a number, 287, if they found the number, found the person, identified the person, then they would put a named marker with uh, the birth and death year in that place. However, as only 354 have matching names and numbers, we still have a significant amount of identified people who we don't have a matching number and an even larger number Who we don't know at all. Not only did they remove all the brush and the rocks and clean it up, they added those uh, the benches, the the big memorial stones. Oh, okay. By the bench that had all the names listed. Yeah. That was done by the Danvers State Memorial Committee uh, with the funds that they received. So after they were able to identify as many as they could, you can now go and see that list of names at the cemeteries. Both of them. One has. Uh, three, they look like headstones, I guess. Yeah. Three headstones with uh, bronze memorial plaques and the list of those identified people uh, in the ground there, which is strange. As, as we were wandering, there was sometimes just three or four of these stones with names on them. And then sometimes you could see the numbered stones in the ground. Yeah. And sometimes there was just nothing. There was areas where there was just nothing. And, uh, Things have just been removed or lost. Lost to time. The numbers were, um, it was heavy. Yeah. To walk through. You don't necessarily believe in like the energy stuff or anything like that. And I'm a pretty, and I'm a pretty big skeptic myself, but I will say I personally felt a bit of change in the energy just walking into that section. Like there was a little bit of a tree line that we had to get through mm-hmm. to get to that spot. And they're, uh, I think most of that self. Probably. If you didn't know, if you took, you, you can never do this, right? But if you took all the headstones away, you just had a field. Would I feel any bit of yeah. anything at all? Yeah. Probably not. So don't rain on my parade, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just, it was a strange place, and and you definitely feel the strangeness of it, and the individuals who were there, and it just runs a gamut of questions into your head of of were they cared for, were they loved, did they die safely, did they, and and these are just ones whose no one came to collect. I'm sure there are people who died at, at Danvers all the time. And they might have had a loved one or a family member. And a lot of these people either didn't or no one cared enough or any number of reasons why they might have been left there. None of which are probably positive. So that adds to the the, the weight of the place. Um, it was strange. If you are interested in seeing the building and seeing those cemeteries, they are I mean, I shouldn't say the building's open to the public, but you can drive by. You can still see the structure. It's worth taking a little trip out to Danvers, especially if you're going to be over there. You can see the Paris Parsonage, the Rebecca Nurse Homestead. Just pop a little bit further towards Hathorne Hill. If you're a cemetery person, 
hundred percent. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a little mushy today. Uh, a little, it was very muddy. <laughs> it was, it was a little mushy when we went, but check it out. There's, I want to mention this at the bottom of the big cemetery to the right are all the old number posts that had been in the ground. Like, like a pile of these markers yeah. kind of off to the side. So hot take. Uh, I don't, I don't like those there and, and people should be allowed to take them home. You know, it's weird. It's similar to what we saw in St. Mary's yeah, Cemetery. Yeah. Remember, we went to that hidden yeah. little... But the difference being is the ones in St. Mary's, that was like structural... Parts ad- of a marker, not the actual headstones. Right. These would technically be considered the actual headstones before these folks were identified. Yeah. And those headstones with names or those name plates were put in the ground. So, yeah, they were kind of just moved off to the side. I don't know, man. I <laughs> I don't know, like... <sighs> so, where they are now, they are just abandoned, sat, have been for 20, 30 years. At some point, those are going to end up in the trash. I mean, unless someone takes a distinct time to, to, to line the, 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 the border with them, to make some sort of a memorial, something along those lines. But so often, something like that is discarded. But it's like keeping someone's headstone. But it's... Which also, I I think, should be okay. A thing? So, within the boundaries of, you have, if you, if you, if you have a choice to preserve it, that should be the first choice, right? But preserving it is not sticking it in a basement and no one cares. Ah, okay. That's, it's hard when you say that coming from someone who's worked in a museum where there was a ton of stuff in the basement, just sitting there. And and some like a museum collection that can be displayed or might be displayed. But when you like have a town who's like, oh yeah, we just have this warehouse full of whatever and no one knows and no one cares. So you would ideally like to see what done with them. Like you said, you would take one home. Yeah, as someone's personal collection, a private collection, a historical collection on display somewhere. Um, something that is respectful and meaningful, right? I mean, I guess that or destroy them. Although I think part of it almost is kind of poetic. The fact that they are, those were all people's markers that were once just recognized by their number and they were uprooted, removed and cast off to the side and replaced with something that actually has their name on it. So in a way, I guess you could almost see it as symbolic. Sure. So if, if you put a, a section of the burying ground, they're just in the woods covered in leaves. Yeah. They're so, just there. So you could have put them in a corner and stacked them and been like these here sit the original stones of people who now have name markers. I'd be fine with that. But they're literally just, that's not, so there are several options here. I think having someone take it home and add it to a personal private collection where in which they appreciate the value and understanding of these things, I think is okay. I just think that that personally, my response to that is it can easily divulge into a weird macabre like exploiting kind of way sure uh, which is always possible right with yeah with almost with, anything 
artifacts yeah. of that type, right? Morbid things, funerary items. Like if I were to have a choice 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, what happens to me? You know, do I, I could, want my skull on someone's desk or do I want to be, you know, forgotten in, in a forgotten grave? Yeah. And or, you know, cool. You get a headstone. Headstones break. Headstones collapse. There's what, a thousand people next door in Charter Street with only 500 markers. So there's 500 people in there. We, we don't even know. Completely lost to history. Yeah. And their stones are lost and gone. And I think if there's a chance to remember or maybe not remember, acknowledge in some way like yes this was a i have someone's skull i have someone's head some we don't know where their body is we don't know where they're and you and i think it's but in today's culture there's a you can call it a fascination but i think there's a general interest in the past in the history in uh, uh morbid curiosity right in funerary services that people appreciate people genuinely appreciate like the people that are going to go to an auction and buy these old headstones, decommissioned headstones yeah, yeah. from this asylum. Yeah. You would like to think have good intentions behind yeah. them and they are looking to preserve this history and honor it in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to think that way. That's I, the only, <laughs> maybe I'm just hesitant given our recent um, Harvard issue with yeah, that shit ain't okay <laughs> with the body parts and the person who was incorporating them into certain merchandise in the town over you know i um and if you guys don't know what we're talking about harvard Medi- medical school selling body parts look it up i think google after, it or uh, check out our episode yeah i mean a quick google search will do it i think after that i knew how much morbidity was kind of seeping into our general like curiosity mm-hmm. it's not that weird to collect skulls anymore maybe that's just the salem in me talking but um that really called attention to just how popular this stuff is yeah. and what lengths people are willing to go to to get their hands on the tools and the materials that they need yeah so like in no way shape or form would i be okay with or sanction like the theft of these things but if the historical society put them up for auction with the money then going to a charitable situation where in which they were not for resale like i couldn't buy 10 of them and go sell them you know that's not you so like here we go and like put some rule and I i think it can be done in a very respectful place where your money can go to benefit people, benefit the grounds, benefit the upkeep of that area. Benefit mental health. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you can, and then I can have like, yeah, this is from this place that I know a significant amount about. And may, maybe I just hope that people will learn and cherish and preserve. And hopefully if they're willing to spend money on it. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're, they're in that position to do so. Yeah. Well, perhaps in the future, present this idea to the organization and uh, the folks that are maintaining that area and see if you get anywhere. Richard Trask, maybe? I no. could, uh, I mean, he could definitely pull some strings. Isn't he the head of the Danvers Historical Society? Yes, and I think he is technically the Danvers historian. Yeah. But I believe who you would have to go through would be the commission that, the memorial commission. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. been working on those cemeteries. They're the ones that kind of have, um, they're the stewards of the area. So who knows? Maybe one day you'll have a, 
a stone from Danvers State Hospital. Maybe. If there's anyone here that'll do it, Jeffrey, it's going to be you. <laughs> <sighs> a little longer than we wanted that, guys. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> uh, planned two parts, turned into three, going to be four, who knows, maybe five. <laughs> it's a never-ending story. Uh, thanks for sitting with us. Uh, welcome back. We've got some fun stuff in store for you for the next couple of weeks. We are so excited to be back in your ear holes. Absolutely. Happy 2024. We got, we got, we got stuff. We got so many fun things in store for you guys this year. But until next time. Don't forget to like, follow, share, tell a friend, tell your enemy. Tell everyone. Right? Hold hold signs, stand in the street, sit on the podcast. Listen or die. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. And if you're coming to visit Salem, come say hi. But until then... Thanks for listening. See you later.